in Melbourne. Fucking holy fucking fuck. Episode number fucking 31. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records, and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells, and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, as they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at gofuckyourself forward slash cockgoblin. That's cock spelt with a K, and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. Seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you. The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode, past episodes, including the occasional bonus episode that I do, and some other golden magic. I also have small playlists of the great lesser-known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. again for checking out the podcast and I hope you checked out last week's ACDC Bon Scott Years episode. So this week's episode is the third and final installment of our 3 by 3 by 3 dig on three syllable artists singing three syllable songs. Yep, we're still covering important topics. Everything's super serious with lockdowns and vaccines and stuff. So hopefully a bit of rock and roll fluff is a bit of a brain timeout for you. It definitely is for me. I still have some sticker and pick packs. If anyone wants them, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. And I haven't forgotten you, Mark Eberline. I'm still looking for that other thing. Happy to post them to you anywhere in the world. So yeah, hit me up and say hi. Do check out episode 29 and 30 if you haven't. Here's some of the nuggets that we heard. Mm-hmm. 
So let's just jerk off together. And I Perseverance takes a powerful vision Lean on me Speak for me Shooting stars Young man's dreams Tighten up I've seen fire and I've seen rain Yesterday I've seen shampoo with conditioner built right in so let's get straight into it because I'm sick of saying the word syllable and you're probably sick of hearing it. So let's start part three of 3x3 three three with a huge song released in August 1970. Here's Tommy Iommi. How Paranoid came about, we went into Region Sound Studios in London to record the album. Um, but we didn't have enough tracks, to be honest, uh, to fill the album. So in the lunch hour, when everybody went for, for lunch, I sat there and I came up with this riff, which became Paranoid. Um, so uh, when everybody came back, I, I played it to them. I said, what do you think? They went, oh, yeah, we like it. I said, should we record it? Yeah, let's do it. So Geezer wrote some lyrics for Ozzy. Ozzy got a melody line, and we went into the studio and recorded it. It was as simple as that and as quick as that. And that track, believe me, I, honestly, it's, uh, you can't believe the, uh, the, the, you know, the impact it's had on the, on the world. I mean, that, that's been number one all over the place. Uh, from a track that was just a filler to a major hit. It's, it's amazing, and I'm, I was thrilled, to be honest. So um, that's sort of how that track came about. But also, I remember in that, when I was in the studio there at that time, I had a great big black eye. And um, what happened there was we were in a fight a couple of days before that with some skinheads because we had a long hair. They didn't like it anyway. It started in a fight. Uh, and we were due to have some photographs taken for the album cover and various other stuff. And, oh, it was so embarrassing. I had this big shiner. And it haunts me to this day. I still see pictures now from the 70s where I've got this black eye. And uh, it looks marvellous. But, you know, that's what you do. That's what happens in this business. One of those things. So here's the three-syllable Black Sabbath with their 51-year-old Paranoid, a song ranked 250 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. The song was originally titled The Paranoid, but luckily they dropped the the, so we can hear it this week. Paranoid, Black Sabbath. All day long 
you know, before the internet, nobody could search things and whatever, but you know, lately everybody's going, oh, Eddie Van Halen didn't invent tapping and, and pull hammer-ons and pull-offs and this and that. And I never claimed that I did, but I do know how and when I figured out how to do it. And on top of that, I never really heard anybody do with it what I did, which is actual pieces of music. But I'll never forget, Alex and I used to go to every concert um, at, the, at the forum in LA, and uh, Led Zeppelin's playing, and, and Jimmy Page is going like this. He's going. Okay, so he's got his hand up in the air, in the air and I'm going. So basically, I just moved the nut. Okay, this part right here is the nut. But then, I, I, instead of using this hand, I use this hand. So like right now, if I go like this, you can't tell which finger I'm using. This hand or that hand? You tell me, right hand or left hand? No, so my, my point being, my point being is it's basically this finger or these two or however many you want to use is just an extension of this hand. Okay, so if I'm playing an A, You know, figuring that, that out, then, then I started actually making uh, little pieces, you know, like, like Eruption. song was about, I was newly married, and I had this title in front of me that's more or less said all I wanted to say. 
and it took me no time at all to write. No time at all. I, I, I mean, I, it just it's, it seemed to go from line to line to line to line without any problem at all. And it basically was a love song from me to my wife. We was on the road as the Drifters with a hit record, so we said we upset because one of the guys happened to see one of the contracts for that engagement for that night. So he comes to us, he said, do you know how much we're making? So we all got upset about it and we said, well, when we get back to New York, we're gonna set up a meeting and get this straightened out, we deserve more money. And so they're looking at me saying, you talk. So okay, what do you want me to say? So they, they said, just tell them that we're not happy with the salary and whatever, whatever. So I did, so I stood up, made my little speech as best I could, and he looks at me and says, well, you, you can't speak for the group, you speak for yourself. So I repeated everything over and over again. He said, well, if you're unhappy, you can leave. <laughs> so now, without turning around at the other guys, right, assuming they're gonna come with me, and someone told me not too long ago, you should never assume. <laughs> I assume they were going to go with They didn't. I walked out of the door like an idiot. So I was really ready to give it up. Never, never thinking for a moment I'd be a lead singer. Sam Cooke was with the Soulsters, a gospel group, and he had a song called, I think it was, Oh Lord, Stand By Me, or something like that. So I just took that section out and started writing my own words, you know, and newly married with a cheap guitar, I went at it. Wrote the song with only, only thing in mind, I'm gonna write another song for the Drifters, because they were still hot, you know what I mean? So I took this song down to the guys, we were still, we became friends again. We all met at Love of Patterson's house again. We all apologized, and I said, well, I got a good song for you. They, they did the song great, I think, yeah? So then the manager of the Drifters said, good song, we don't need it. So I took the song, walked out of the office. I won't cry, I won't cry, no, I won't shed a tear just as long as you stand, stand by me. And I read somewhere that he cried in the studio. Yeah, I was really sad when I did it because and to this day, it's never been done by a group that I, to my knowledge, that, w that had did it like the Drifters when I first heard them do it, and that I had wrote it for, yeah. And I, I was sad because of that reason, and I know that um, I probably would never hear it done by the Drifters, but, I, I, yeah, that's what I had in mind. And when I'm up there singing it by myself, yeah. Just you felt lonely. I felt lonely. It didn't gel the way I thought it would, you know. When the night has come and the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me So dark Released in 1961, Stand By Me was the fourth most performed song of the 20th century, including radio and TV plays. You've Lost That Loving Feeling was number one, Never My Love was number two, and Yesterday was number three. Just the world's quickest side rabbit hole on Never My Love, I have never heard it. Anyway, 
The E in Benny King stands for Earl. And the song has been recorded over 400 times, including versions by Otis Redding, John Lennon, and even Muhammad Ali. Rated 122 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. And obviously, it's attached to the usual fuckery. And I've got to warn you, this one annoyed me more than usual. There's a man there you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs But I do remember that after I wrote the song, The Stranger, which I think I wrote before we went into the studio too, that might have been another one that I wrote beforehand, um, that we decided that should be where it is in the album because I wrote a little preface to The Stranger. There's a little introduction to it, which is that whistling piano thing, which became the theme to The Stranger. Because after we recorded the song, The Stranger, we sat around and went, and I, well, I remember me thinking this. It needs some sort of introduction. It needs a prelude. It needs a theme before I go into the song, and then it should slam into the song. And then I came up with the, the whistling and the piano theme. Actually, this is how that happened. I played the theme on the piano to show Phil. This is this idea for a theme I have for The Stranger. And then I said, now an instrument should do this. And then I finished it, and, and I said, so what instrument do you think should do that, Phil? And Phil said, you just did it. And, and I, didn't even, I hadn't even thought about it being whistled, but then I heard it play back, and I went, oh, that's kind of cool, I like that. So that's how this kind of thing happened. Your lover see the stranger in yourself. 
The guy that featured in episode 18's 4x4 also qualifies for 3x3, and that's Jebediah's singer Kevin Mitchell with his alter ego solo project, Bob Evans' Hand Me Downs. I got nothing, darling. All I've got are broken wings. A little love means everything. We've got nothing, baby. If we don't take it for ourselves, and I need you more than ever now. And still, somehow, we get Another Aussie band now is the three-syllabled Cola Wars with the three-syllabled centre of with some three-syllabled shit-hot bass. And I declare my face back It's gonna be a televised attack With a win I'll draw the light All about lies to redefine Take a breath and take a step So the wind's actually so joking about the bass in that one. That's my old band, Cola Wars. 
Check out the Victims tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, if you want to hear some more shitty color wars. Business as Usual was one of the most successful albums internationally by an Australian group at that time. It spent an incredible 15 weeks at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 from late 82 to early 83. And this was right in the moment of Michael Jackson Thriller. It makes it even more impressive. It also spent five weeks at number one on the U.K. Albums Chart in early 83 and a lot of time at number one in Australia. It was one of the highest-selling Australian albums of the decade. It sold six million copies in the U.S. alone. Now, coming off the incredible success of their number one hit, Who Can It Be Now? Men at Work released Down Under, which was originally released in 1980 as the B-side to their first local single that was titled Key Punch Operator. That was released before the band signed with Columbia Records. Down Under was written by Colin Hay and Ron Streichert. The early version of Down Under does have a slightly different tempo and arrangement from the later version. Down Under is it's just one of those songs, really those rare songs from that wonderful decade of the 80s that has become really a pop culture phenomenon. I remember as a seven-year-old kid in a small town in Idaho, it was like my introduction to the larger world, not only outside of my state, but outside of America, to the great outback of Australia. I mean, such great imagery in those lyrics. It's an amazing song. Here, Colin Hay gives us some insight into that classic song. The key for that song was meeting Ron Strike at the other guitar player in the band, and he opened a creative door for mm -hmm. me, and we started to work together. We wrote Down Under as a co-write, but we didn't really even write it together. He had the original, the original idea for that song, which was on a little cassette tape. He used to make these really interesting little home demos and they were always kind of very interesting and they had but this one had a had a kind of a percussion bass it was it was it was he he filled up bottles with different levels of liquid yeah. and that's where the, the start of the song was right. we kind of used that at the start of the song but in the demo it was just that all the way through and it was just and then there was a bass line he put on there which was yeah. And for a few weeks before that, I'd had this line in my head, uh, living in the land down under. And then one day I was, I was driving along in this street that, that I used to have some friends who lived there mm -hmm. in Melbourne. And the, this thing was going along, it was going, and so I just think, living in land down under, I thought, oh, that's cool. And so I was just sang it over that, over his tape. And then the next morning I just went home and, and the, the lyrics and the, and the chords came. And they just came like in half an hour and that was it. In the space of maybe maybe two or three months, the band came together. So I had a vehicle to uh, to immediately play those songs. And so we were kind of a jam band for a while. We were mm -hmm. kind of hippie influence. And, you know, we would, we would play Down Under, but it was like six minutes long. And, and we would play Who Can It Be Now? And it's six minutes long. But the songs were there. And having the band as a vehicle to play those songs was there. Fine bread from a man in Brussels. I come from a land, 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 land. From Peter 
This is the three-syllabled songwriter, Mel Kilgore. I was working the road with Johnny Cash in, in uh, 62. Johnny Cash was very close with Johnny Horton, my dear friend. And of course, Johnny was killed uh, November 6, 1960. And it really, uh, dist- uh, it just really destroyed me and Johnny Cash. Uh, we had been fishing with him and he was just so close. And uh, so Johnny kind of looked after me when I came to Nashville. He said, now Merle, look, I want you to go on the road with me. Let me teach you some big time tricks, you know. Uh, and in fact, he said, in two months, you're singing in Carnegie Hall. And I said, Carnegie Hall? You're kidding. He said, no, I'm not kidding. And he said, now I want you to stay with me. And, uh, and then June joined us. And uh, June and I lived in Madison, June Carter. And we lived in Madison. So she said, look, when we're off the road, why don't we just get together every day and write songs? And I said, well, sure. So we got together and we wrote, I'm Promised to John, the Hank Snow song. And Hank recorded for us. And uh, then uh, her sister, uh, Anita Carter, had just landed a contract with Mercury. Now, this is during all the folk craze of the early 60s. And Anita sung so beautiful, just like an angel, a crystal bell. And uh, so we wrote some folk songs for her. We thought we had them all done. And we started on a writing uh, one day, and I said, I'm stuck for an idea. Do you got any thoughts, June? She said, well, Kilgore, I've been looking through some old letters, and uh, a friend of mine uh, just got a divorce, and he said, listen to this. Love is like a burning ring of fire. You know, I can't stand it anymore, and I'll never fall in love again. She said, that's something in that title, don't you think? And I said, yeah, I really think we should work on that. Well, we started on it, and we kind of hemmed, hauled around, and we just never could get started. We got through the first verse and maybe a part of the chorus. And uh, so then I said, well, let's just call it a day, and we'll start on it tomorrow. And we had all the songs done for Anita anyway. And she said, okay, but I think it's a good idea. I said, yeah, I love it. So I went back home, and two hours later, she calls and says, Kilgore, get back over here quick. They need one more song that threw out somebody else's song. They need one more song on the album. And I told them that we almost had Ring of Fire finished. So I rushed back over there, and I started writing a verse. So when I got there, she had tightened up the first verse, and we got it all together. And uh, we took it down and sung it live to Anita and the musicians, and bang, it was recorded right then. And... It was so beautiful the way she did it. With uh, it was slow and and it just rolled with the folk guitar, and uh, Johnny. Everybody heard it, loved it. I fell into into the burden ring of fire. I fell down, 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 down into the deepest mire, and it burns, 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 burns the ring of fire. And Johnny Cash told us on the road, he said, you know what, I dreamed that I I heard Ring of Fire with Mexican trumpets, and it was my voice singing. And he said, I'm going to record that song if Anita's record don't hit. So a couple months later, he called me and he said, all right, Kilgore, come on in. I've got those trumpets ready. So I walked in the studio, and 
Those trumpets start playing the ring of fire. Wow. Everybody knew it was an instant hit. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, 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 and the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire, the ring of fire The three-syllabled Johnny Cash also covered the three-syllabled Soundgarden's three-syllabled Rusty Cage. It was an honour. <laughs> Definite honour. Yeah, it was an amazing thing. I actually saw some Bob Dylan documentary, I don't remember which one, because there's a lot of them, where he talks about that, and he's, he's still young, I think, when he's talking about it, saying how great it was that Johnny Cash did one of his songs, and we felt the same way. That's the one thing we have in common with Bob Dylan, <laughs> that we appreciated that. I remember he, he was interviewed by Larry King, and he was talking about the lyrics of of Rusty Cage being reminding him of like a you know beat poetry and how um, yeah, and his version of the song really brought out the you know the, the lyric of that song in, in a way that uh, only only he can. Yeah, I got messages on my answering machine after the, that was back when you had answering machines and. Um, oh, that? Kim still has one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I got about 10 of them saying that they heard Johnny Cash's version of Rusty Cage and, and how great the lyrics were. And I thought, well, when our version came out, I didn't get yeah, one. Yeah, no, exactly. Message. Dogs. 
I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage. The next three by three is by the super quirky but great talking heads. We heard the story behind their great three-syllabled And She Was in episode seven's Cowbells from Hell. Another song I've never really understood but always loved is a song that was the band's last song to chart in the US in 1986, making it to number 25. And here's a bit of the demo for Wild Wildlife. I'm wearing the pajamas. played a few songs from in previous episodes that was a huge palette cleaner for me years ago was Paul Kelly's 1991 three-syllable masterpiece album Comedy. The album only made it to number 12 in Australia and it has three three-syllabled songs. Blue Stranger we heard in episode 15, The Beautiful Take Your Time and the song I'm going to include here, Winter Coat. We were lovers once Long ago Walking through cold city streets Like lovers do Stopped inside a market Kissed behind the store Someone said you better move on If you're not buying Then I saw the winter coat Hanging on the rack I thought about that winter coat Hanging on my back 
so you helped me try it on It was just my size Then you bought that coat for me After haggling over the price Now it's changed I never thought in my 73rd year that I'd be sitting here in Cannes with a film coming out. To be honest with you, I was blown away. Um, I was very moved. I, I, I cried the first time I saw it, and I cried a lot this time. It was a wonderful experience, and I echo Elton's feelings 100%. I mean, it was very emotional. There were a couple of scenes in it where, you know, I was, I was quietly sobbing, to be quite honest. Um, I knew Taron could sing, and as soon as I met him, um, I felt that there was something special there. And when I first heard him sing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, I was flabbergasted. I went, God, this is so difficult to sing. This is just as good as my version, really. There are some very, very dark moments in the movie. And you feel, but the music lifts it out of the darkness. And the music, you know, it's, and he's done, not only did he have to perform my life, mm. he had to sing my life. And that's a double whammy. And when I look at him, singing, and when I look at him acting, I am not looking at Taron Edgerton, I'm looking at me. And so that's what moves me, it's like, this is me here. One of the magic things about the film is that you really, really believe that these two characters, it's them against the world initially, and then they go along for the ride. Mm. I'm very, very proud of this movie. I'm very proud of our, my life. I'm proud of him. And I mean, our songs do have a cinematic quality yeah. to them. They're, they're, they're stories. You don't imagine a movie being made about your life. You, you, I think you imagine that they usually do that about people who have passed away, and luckily we're still around <laughs> to appreciate it. That was Bernie Torben and the three-syllabled Elton John talking about the film Rocket Man, which to date has made over $150 million and won an Oscar and a Grammy. But the song Rocket Man was released in 1972 and sold over 3 million copies in the USA alone and was ranked number 242 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. The lyrics written by Bernie Torben were inspired by a short story called The Rocket Man, and those lyrics echo a theme laid down by David Bowie's Space Oddity. Space Oddity and Rocket Man were both produced by the same producer, Gus Dudgeon. She packed my bags last night, free flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space on such a time. Timeless flight And I think the 
As I've done in the middle of several episodes, I want to play a friend's new release. And today I want you all to have a listen to a bit of a great New Zealand singer, guitarist and songwriter, Jesse Sheehan, who's released a slick single called The Real Love Evolution. And if you visit the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, and hit the Victims tab, I'll have a link to Jesse's music. Jesse Sheehan, The Real Love Evolution. have an interesting three-syllable song called Submission. Their manager, Malcolm McLaren, had a store in London and it was called Sex and it sold fetish and bondage gear and he suggested that the band write a bondage kind of song called Submission. Johnny Rotten was sick of McLaren by this time, so he did write a song called Submission with bass player Glenn Matlock, but it was about a submarine mission. Funny fuckers. I'm on a submarine mission
um, Moonshadow. I don't know if anybody else had this. When I was at school, there was a book, a, a, a book that went around called Sing, Sing, Sing. And once a week, we would all sit down and we would sing from that. Did you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was where I first came across wow. Moonshadow. Wow. And so, since the age of probably six or seven, that that song has been in my bones. Well, you know how I wrote that song? No. You know, again, growing, growing up in the city, I never really uh, was exposed to the country, you know, like I, was, I was an urban boy. And, um, and so for me, light came from, you know, uh, street lamps. Yeah. So then um, when I went, I took a little trip to Spain between tours at one point in 1970, whatever. And, um, and it was a kind of a beautiful moonlit night, you know, and suddenly I looked down and, whoa, there he was, you know, moon shadow. And I thought, I've never seen him before. It was the first time I realized that the moon cast a shadow. I said, call me dumb, you know, but, but that's, that, that's the story. And then I wrote this song. And it's a very optimistic song. I'd say that that's, I hope, the legacy that I want to leave, you know, and that is to do with optimism. Because I'm being followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow, moon shadow. And if I ever lose my hands, lose my plow, lose my land, oh, if I ever lose my hands, oh, I won't have to work no more. And if I ever lose my eyes, if my colors all run dry. Yes, if I ever lose my eyes away, I won't have to cry no more. Yes, I'm being... The next one came as a bit of a shock to me as I always thought they were a three-syllable act and I popped them on my list when I was brain-researching this stupid topic. But they're actually a six-syllable act. They're the most successful duo ever and had 29 top 40 singles in the US, including six number ones. Your group's name has never been Hall and Oates. No. It's Daryl Hall and John Oates. Did you get tired of correcting people at some point or you just go, yeah? Well, no, we never get tired of correcting people because the whole point of, the whole point of it is that we are two different people. Mm-hmm. We're not Mutt and Jeff. We're not the Bobsy Twins. We're not Bobbleheads. You know, we are two absolutely distinct artists. Who share a stage. <laughs> okay. Then from now on, it's Daryl Hall and John Oates. I won't let that happen anymore. There you go. We heard their three-syllabled man-eater in episode eight and nine's name changes. And fuck you, Daryl Hall. Here's your three-syllabled number one from 1984. Out of touch. of our game we really were I mean it was it was happening 
Then, then when we hit Big Bamboom, it was a period of great commercial success and great frustration. And uh, I, I felt that I was in the center of this sort of hurricane, and I was in, in a situation where I wasn't really in control of what was going on. I was in control of my music, but I wasn't really in control of anything else. And I wasn't in control, the worst part is I wasn't in control of other people's perceptions of what I was doing and what my motivations were. The next 3x3 choice was the first hit song for Bob Marley outside of Jamaica. Bob Marley wrote the song as a 22-year-old in 1967, and the Whalers released it locally that year. later re-recorded and released on the Catch a Fire album in 
So I'm going to put a stop to this now before it goes on forever. And before I get to my favourite, I'm just going to pop in a fun three by three here. Frank Zappa, Dancing Fool. I don't know much about dancing. That's why I got this song. One of my legs is shorter than the other and both of my feet's too long. Of course, not right along with them. I got no natural rhythm. But I go dancing every night. Hoping one day I might get it right. I'm a dancing fool. I jump out of my seat, but I can't compete Cause I'm a dancing fool Dancing fool The disco folks all dressed up Like they spit to kill I walk on in and see them there Gonna give them all a thrill When they see me coming They all steps aside he has a bit while I commit my social suicide. I'm a dancing fool. Dancing So before I get to my favorite three by three song, I like to include a story from one of the bands featured in the three-part episode. And this story is about the end of Nirvana. I don't think Kurt wanted to be a huge fucking rock star. And uh I don't think he could handle how complicated it had all become. No one was very happy with the tour or the band. So Kurt decided he wants a break, even though we're on this tour that you can't get out of because you're a big band, you get sued. We had like a week and a half off in between two legs of the tour. I decided to fly home and Kurt went to Rome where he was meeting Courtney Love, his wife. Hi, I'm Tabitha Soren with MTV News. Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain was hospitalized in a coma in Rome, Italy on Friday morning. I turned on the TV and Kurt was being wheeled away in an ambulance in Rome. I went to the hospital with him and I didn't know what to do because I thought, do I say, this is Kurt Cobain, take care of him right away, VIP? Or do I say, this is just some guy, don't call the press? I finally went with, this is Kurt Cobain. Um, VIP, do something about it. Nirvana spokespeople reported encouraging signs, saying they'd been told Kurt Cobain was responding to his name, opening his eyes, and squeezing his wife's hand. When he came home, I remember talking to him on the phone. And saying, hey, man, I don't want you to die, okay? And he's, he was very apologetic. No, 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 I'm sorry. It's a big mistake. Took these pills. I was drinking these champagne and it was in Rome. It was just a, just made a mistake. It was really sad. I had a message from Kurt but I wasn't home, and so whatever help he needed from me, I couldn't help him. And that's the last time I ever talked to him or saw him. Oh, darling. So that story kind of ties into my favourite 3x3 song, because it was a song that was actually played at Kurt Cobain's funeral. 
So the song is obviously a three-syllable titled song from a three-syllable artist, and it's also from a three-syllable album. And the artist is the Beatles. Here's some other three-syllable songs I considered. with In My Life from Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul was the first Beatles album not to print the band's name on the front cover. They also did this three more times after Rubber Soul on Revolver, Abbey Road and Let It Be, which are also three-syllabled album titles. In My Life was a song that the three-syllable John Lennon stated was my first real major piece of work, as it was the first time he had actually written super personal lyrics about his life. One of the lines in the early handwritten lyrics mentioned Penny Lane as one of the things he was missing. The piano solo is played by a three-syllable producer, George Martin, but was played slow and sped up to sound like a harpsichord. Here's the slowed down version. was ranked number 23 on Rolling Stone's Greatest 500 Songs and obviously is attached to much fuckery and la 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 My life, the Beatles. There are places I remember all my life, though some have changed, some forever, not for better. Some have gone and some remain. All these places have their moments. Think 
Thank you so much for listening. That's enough 3 by 3 and I promise I won't mutter the word syllable for the next 30 or so episodes. Next week's episode is a fun, arresting episode, so I hope you'll enjoy that. As always, thanks to Paddy Cummings for web and tech help and thanks to Rob Dean at Strike Hard Studios. If you think I missed anything in this triple episode that took me way too long to research and record, please send me an email to syllable is a three-syllable word at gofuckyourself at syllable.syllable and I'll never say syllable again. Please check out last week's ACDC episode if you haven't heard that yet. And I have all the other 30 episodes and bonus episodes on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. You can say hi and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast. And check out the website for the Spotify playlist of all the great songs used in each episode. And if you have a few spare seconds, please rate, review and share the podcast if you haven't already done so. And a million thanks to those who have already done it. To end the podcast, I like to add a lesser-known band that qualifies for the week's topic. And this week is my good friend, the three-syllable Joel Burton, and the three-syllable band from Sydney, Tenderfoot, with a great three-syllable song called The Fixer, off their three-syllabled album, To Be Yours, recorded at the three-syllable studio called Abbey Road. Check out the Victims tab on the website arockandrollrabbithole.com for some more of Tenderfoot's great music. Thank you so much again for listening, and I am the three-syllable the fuck out. Tenderfoot, the fixer. See ya. I'm hurt like this is a cold night. Broke it off just to be here. I said nobody to mean it. Yeah, I'm guilty. Please read me my rights We may say it on different sides But I swear I heard your heart beat once or twice All I ever do is fix things You're the only one that can fix me Once or twice 
chase the sun around We may live on different sides But I swear I heard your heart beat once or twice Once or twice You're the only one that can fix me 